Welcome to Diving Deeper, where we interview National Ocean Service scientists on the ocean topics and information that are important to you. I'm your host, Kate Nielsen. Today's question is, what are NOAA's navigation response teams? Navigation response teams are three-person mobile emergency response units equipped and trained to survey waterways immediately following a hurricane. To help us dive a little deeper into this question, we will talk with Commander Larry Krepp on NOAA's navigation response teams. Commander Krepp is the chief for the navigation response branch with NOAA's Office of Coast Survey. Hi, Commander Krepp. Welcome to our show. Hi, Kate. Thanks for inviting me. Um, Welcome the opportunity to let everybody know a little bit more about our navigation teams. Commander Krepp, why did the National Ocean Service first establish navigation response teams? The teams were started as as a system of customer response for emergency uh, response surveys. Uh, we actually fall under a division called the Navigation Services Division, and the, that division houses the customer affairs branch uh, where we have navigation managers stationed throughout the country. The Coast Pilot Branch falls there, as does my group, the Navigation Response Branch, consisting of our, our teams regionally spaced. How many teams do we have, and where are they located? We have seven teams uh, right now. Uh, six of them are small, trailable boat teams. The, the seventh team is uh, actually uh, the Office of Coast Surveys uh, research and development vessel. Um, we keep those uh, regionally spaced throughout the U.S., one in the northeast, uh, one in the southeast, one in uh, one's there in the Gulf of Mexico, and then we have a southwest and northwest team. And the R and the research and development platform is in uh, Lexington Park, Maryland. How many people are, make up each team? Each team generally we have three people per team. That allows both for a measure of safety. We have one one operator, and then we generally have one of the other folks capable of running the boat. And then the others do the survey processing and the data acquisition for our work. A lot of our folks are, are homegrown. The, the type of work that we do is, is very specialized. So we do take folks directly out of college and, and train them in, in NOAA hydrographic science and then have them work on the teams. Commander Krupp, what equipment do these teams have available to use? Most all of the the teams have uh, a core of, of three pieces of equipment that allow us to do a wide variety of, of work. Uh, the first being a side scan sonar, the second being a multi-beam sonar, and the third being a single beam echo sounder. Can you talk a little bit about how each one works and maybe what it's used for? I'll start with uh, probably the one of the easier ones to understand, and, and folks that, that watch you know educational programming have probably seen anything on shipwrecks, you'll probably see uh, somebody talking about side scan sonar, and uh, this is a it, it's uh, the the sonar itself is housed in a about a three foot long uh, tow fish uh, we call it, and that's towed behind the boat in most cases. Uh, there are two transducers, one per side, and each one of those sends out a, a a beam of sound, if you will. And and the way that it works, if you can picture yourself holding a flashlight, um, you know, and maybe a pencil on the table, when the light hits that pencil, it creates a shadow. Uh, the same thing can happen with sound. So um, as that's, as the fish is being towed through the water, our technicians are getting a display on the screen that allows them to see both the objects on the seafloor and because there is a shadow cast, we can measure how high um, an item might come off the seafloor. So that's the side scan sonar. The multi-beam sonar has multiple beams. That's where the, the multi-beam comes from. So we have, you know, some of our units have 240 beams. Each one, uh, when it hits the 
the seafloor and comes back up or an, or an object on the bottom uh, gives us a depth return. So we can, in essence, code that depth into a color so it can provide us a three-dimensional uh, framework to, to look at a, an object. Okay. Uh, but the difference there is that's actually measuring depth. It's not providing imagery per se. And then the final one is the single beam echo sounder, and it, it measures a singular depth below the, the vessel. All right. So side scan gives you an image of maybe Correct. what's down there based off of the sound mm-hmm. um, waves bouncing back. And multi-beam would be used for... It, it provides us uh, the bathymetry with the actual physical measurement uh-huh. of the depth. The, depth. Okay. Um, the other advantage to side scan is that in most cases you have what's called a wider swath. So you can actually cover more bottom with this. So even though you're not getting discrete depth measurements, uh, we can scan an area, a relatively large area, much more quickly with side scan and then go back with multi-beam and actually provide a detailed height profile on whatever we find on the bottom. Very technical, it sounds like. And it, I can understand why you really have to train these teams before they're able to go out and, and do this response. Obviously, there are probably events that require you then to deploy a team to a location since mm-hmm. there's seven teams located throughout the country. What do you need to consider before you deploy a team? The main consideration that we have before we send a team is we need to know exactly what happened in the area. Um, I'm very interested to know if there is hazardous material, if the if the area is safe to put, um, you know, both both you know my technicians and our equipment there. Um, if you folks remember back in April, there was the the oil rig explosion there, and and that remained uh, burning for a number of days. Uh, you know, if if we're an instance like that, I would certainly be in contact with the Coast Guard and our folks over at uh, NOAA's Office of Response and Restoration to see what kind of hazardous materials there are in the area before I sent anybody in. Secondly, I I need to have an idea of what exactly our customer needs. Are we looking for a particular item? Was there a shoal somewhere that we need to better identify and um, and provide more detail on the NOAA charter to a user? For emergency response, if we're talking about hurricanes, need to know, you know, the impact of the traffic. If if we need the whole channel open, if we're just looking for a, a certain area that's acting as a choke point for any vessels moving in and out of the U.S. port. How would someone go about requesting these services? Well, generally following, following an incident, most of our responses are made at the request of either a federal or a state entity. Uh, we're talking about on the national level, the U.S. Coast Guard, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. On the local levels, um, we have state port authorities and state pilot associations. Generally, those requests let me know what happened, what kind of data they need to have collected, what kind of a time frame. You know, is it a true emergency? Is it something that can wait a couple of weeks or a month? I evaluate, one, if we have a team available in the area and just try to work it into our, our standard workload. What types of emergencies do the navigation response team support? Well, as I mentioned before, we... Uh, Probably our, our bread and butter, if you will, are our hurricane responses. That's, that's kind of the, the base of, of how the Navigation Response Branch and Nav Services Division was founded. Aside from natural disaster hurricane-type responses, uh, we do receive various requests from, from agencies for anything from, from ship groundings, you know, ship sinkings. We've had, uh, as a result of Katrina, I believe it was the uh, Interstate 45 bridge that had collapsed we went and, and did some surveying for that to identify you know where some of those pieces are so that they could be removed shy of that it's it's mostly anything having a navigational concern uh, kind of the the statement that i generally make is our teams are there to respond to anything that has the potential for impacting the the marine commerce transportation system 
that we have in the country. Let's focus a little bit on the hurricane response that you've talked about. When do the teams typically arrive on the scene? Are they considered almost like a first responder after an event? They are. Again, noting we do make sure the area is safe. There is a lot of groundwork that we do on this end up on the headquarters side to make sure that the folks that I'm sending into that kind of an area, we need to make sure that there's fuel available. We need to make sure that there is some type of lodging for them. We generally mobilize within 24 hours and we're on scene within 48. We may or may not be able to begin survey at that point, but it certainly allows us to get together and meet with the Coast Guard and the Port Authority, actually have the people on the ground help direct us to where our services would best be used. Depending on the track of the storm, there are occasions where we're able to begin moving a team into an area. In certain instances, when the Hurricane Center is able to provide me a a very detailed track, I can actually move the folks just to the outer range of the the damaging winds. Mm -hmm. We can be somewhat pre-staged to enter an area. We talked a little earlier about some of the equipment, side scan sonar, multi-beam. What are some of the other tools that your team uses? Yes, there, there are kind of two facets to that answer. First off, I, I did not mention all of the equipment that we use on these boats are tied together via GPS. So everything that we find, we are able to accurately position. So just getting the imagery doesn't do any good if we don't know exactly where what we're seeing is on the bottom. We have in the past been able to borrow an autonomous underwater vehicle. It's an unmanned programmable sonar which we are able to deploy, and it can, on its own, after we program the mission, it can go and we call it flying a mission. It actually goes underwater and and flies a grid unattended, and then that can come back to the surface and we download it. The final piece of gear that I use with great success is our mobile integrated survey team. Rather than having a vessel that we have to trailer, if it's a truly remote area, we can reach out to the community and request of them a vessel to install gear on. So I have a a package, a in essence, a portable survey equipment package that I can send out there along with a couple of operators. We can use somebody else's boat, whether it be a Coast Guard vessel or a Corps of Engineers vessel, and install our gear and survey in a remote area. Commander Cripp, what is a day like for your staff responding after a hurricane? Maybe there's an example, a hurricane from the past that you could tell us about. Yes, certainly. Probably the most dramatic of of our hurricane responses was in response to Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. I'm sure everybody remembers the the massive amount of devastation to to the Gulf coastal areas. That was a little different for us in that it was a very long response. A, A good amount of our responses only have a duration of maybe two days to a week. The Katrina response went on for months, and we had multiple vessels in there, and there were multiple government agencies the infrastructure there was pretty well decimated. So it was a a fantastic U.S. team effort to, one, be able to provide the pure necessities of things like fuel, water, food, uh, you know, and shelter for all of the responders down in that area. But we surveyed various ports in conjunction with the Corps of Engineers and were able to relatively quickly, you know, establish some of the shipping lanes to, to allow things to go. How do the navigation response teams work with local communities and some of these other agencies following disaster? What, what is sort of NOAA's role? Sure. The, the scope of NOAA is, is quite broad. I'd like to narrow it down to the Office of Coast Survey interaction with the local community. Again, with, within our Navigation Services Division, 
a branch contemporary with mine is the customer affairs branch. And as I mentioned, they have actual personnel, regional representatives, navigation managers in each of the geographic areas where we have the nav response teams. Uh, so these folks uh, have a day-to-day interaction with the professionals in the area in the, in the shipping industry and with government officials, uh, both on the environmental side and the commerce side of any given port community. Commander Krepp, is there a way to measure how successful these teams are? Sure. I think maybe we should divide this into a couple of different categories. One would be the hurricane response, and then secondly, how we fit into the, the Office of Coast Survey general nautical charting effort. So there actually there are a couple of, of different measures that I use to, to indicate our success. In the general survey realm, of, of course, thankfully, we don't have emergencies happening you know, 24 hours a day. So there is a, a significant part of our year where I interface very closely with, with the hydrographic surveys division. And what those folks do are they do the planning for all of the routine surveys across the, the United States. And so for smaller inshore areas, I can actually provide data to them to meet that, that critical survey need. And then as we're talking emergency responses, uh, of course, as I mentioned, uh, the whole reason that we're there is to, to help reestablish the flow of commerce in and out of a port. And, and some of those numbers are actually pretty staggering. Uh, for, for some of the major ports, use LA Long Beach is, is one prime example. The average daily value of goods coming in and out of that port is somewhere in, in the vicinity of $750 billion. So that boils down to about $500,000 a minute moving in and out of the port. So you can imagine as, as these ports get shut down, if there were something blocking that waterway, keeping these ships from coming in and out, the importance of, of being able to provide the data to allow somebody to you know, remedy the situation, to allow the, the ships to continue moving, for every minute that's, that's clicking by, it's, it's $500,000 lost to the U.S. economy. So we do, we can measure, you know, the amount of time it, it takes the federal effort to get a, a port open and then estimate from there what the, the dollar value we were able to save was. And of course, by us being there, we're, we're opening the ports more quickly than could the port open without us. Commander Krepp, in an affected area, who really has the authority then to reopen a shipping channel? Sure. In, in the vast majority of cases, the, the authority to open a port or close a port lies with the U.S. Coast Guard and, and the captain of, of the port that has authority over that area or supervises that area. So whenever there is a request for a response, it, it is a true full government effort. The, the captain of the port has the authority to open and close the port for shipping. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers generally has authority within the federally maintained channels. But as we talked about before, the, the massive amounts of, of commerce that flows, you know, both in dollar value and volume that comes through these ports, uh, the desire to open channels more quickly becomes very important. So it's usually those two agencies that call me to add another resource to, to help open those channels. And so what we, what we actually do is serve the U.S. Captain, the U.S. Coast Guard captain of the port for the area to provide him data to allow him to make you know, the appropriate decision on, on whether or not that, that port is safe, that the waterway is safe for, for commerce to resume its flow. What is the most unique mission or maybe the most memorable mission that a team has responded to? Oh, I think my, my memory is generally pretty short. Um, all, all of these, uh, especially hurricane responses, tend to blend together. Uh, those things, we, we've done numerous 
hurricane responses and each one of those is rewarding in their own way just to know that well one we've gotten in and out of there and, and we're able to help uh, shipping resume in the area but in recent history I, the, the small community up in uh, northeast Maine uh, Cops Cook Bay and, and when they were having a substantial percentage of their population in this urchin fishing fleet dying they you know it's bad enough that that these vessels are going down and there are being lives lost but they also weren't recovering bodies so it was it was very rewarding to me to be able to to do a response one to help not only to help locate the wreckage and and assist in in providing data for the salvage folks to bring these boats back up but also identify help to identify the the kind of the root cause of what was causing some of these sinkings and hopefully avoid any ones in the future what would you say is the value of NOAA's navigation response teams to our non-coastal listeners? An interesting statistic is that for all of the United States, whether you're coastal or you know, live in the middle of the country, uh, roughly 70% of, of all of the items that, that you see around you, you know, the, the earphones that you're using right now or the speakers that you're using right now to listen to this podcast, the clothes on your back, you know, the, the tires on your car, all at some point came through one of the United States ports. And, and especially, uh, you know, if we're talking exports, the, the middle of the country in the grain belt is very reliant upon, you know, timely shipping, getting those goods out of the country and, and out to other folks that, that are consumers of, of what we export. So just because we service a, a coastal locale, there is a, a, a massive impact to uh, the U.S. population in, in the middle of the country. Do you have any final words for our listeners today? I would just like to kind of close out this interview, uh, letting everybody know, you know, or having a chance on behalf of all of the Navigation Response Branch to say, you know, thank you for for giving us the opportunity to to serve the nation. We feel our mission is very important and hope I was able to demonstrate today, you know, the value of of the commerce coming in and out of U.S. ports and how we play a role in, in keeping that commerce flowing. Thanks, Commander Krepp, for joining us on Diving Deeper and talking about NOAA's navigation response teams. To learn more, please visit nauticalcharts.noaa.gov. That's all for today's show. Please join us for our next episode, coming in June.